If you would, go ahead and be seated. Thanks, y'all. Um, just a reminder, this afternoon, this evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to gather there at Three Springs Park for a picnic. And it's one of those few times when uh, we all get to get together. We're in multiple campuses and venues and sites and all that stuff. And so looking forward to seeing a bunch of you. Now, your temptation is going to be to stop at one of those little pavilions. Don't do it. Get your chair, bring your, bring your blanket, go down to the bottom of the field. There'll be some shade there. And we're going to hang out. We've got... Um, that hot wit dogs will be there. So if you, if you want that, you can buy that there. You can bring stuff, whatever. The big thing is, guys, we just want to spend some time together, talking and hanging out. Some of you guys are new here. I haven't had the chance to meet you. I've been gone a little bit. And uh, this would be a great opportunity to get to, uh, to meet some of you all and spend some time with you as well. Um, as far as being gone, I just want to, again, thank Pastor David for uh, his leadership during this time. What a blessing he is. And uh, I'm excited to, to get to be back. It, it feels good to feel good. I tell you, you don't, want, you don't know what you lost until it's gone. And losing health and then getting it back is, uh, makes me really appreciate it. And so I'm excited to be back. I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm going to, Lord willing, only miss one Sunday between now and the next 24 weeks of this year. And I'm excited. In, in August, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. In September, we're going to look at Ruth. We're going to look at relationships in October, November through the life of King David. Then we're going to be in Christmas time. And then we got a, I've already written the entire series for next, next year. So the sermons for 2019, we've got them outlined and ready. So I'm a little fired up. I don't know if you can tell. It is good. But today we're talking about what it means to be rooted in Jesus Christ. As a disciple of Jesus, what are, what are our lives supposed to be about? How do we root down into the power and the purpose and the plan and the care of God? There's certain things that we need to be doing. And one of those things that we need to be doing that God has called us to do is to serve is to take our gifts for his glory and to, and to serve the needs of, of other people. And so today we're gonna to learn how to make that difference and continue to do it the way we have through this whole series is we're gonna take a precept. We're gonna take something that Peter wrote in one of his epistles and then we're gonna go back and look at an experience in Peter's life to understand how it is we need to cultivate this in our own lives. So if you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is, is where we're going to be focused. Now, let me tell you about the text today. I am, uh, there's no way I can unpack all that's here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give an outline for your personal study. So I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take notes. And then today, sometime this week, go back and restudy chapter 10. I'm giving you highlights. This is an appetizer. The meal is yet to come. And that's one of those you can have with your small group. You can have, you know, a husband and wife with friends. I'm just here to, to kind of get you appetized for all that God has in there. So let's all stand together as Kylie comes to read God's word for us. Where did Kylie? There she is. She is going to read, we're in Acts 10. She's going to read verses 30 through 33, which is this, this is portion where the person that Peter's come to minister to is kind of telling him what, what has happened that precipitated Peter's coming to minister to him. So, Kylie, read that for us. And Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and asked for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. 
Amen. Let's be seated. Now, let's talk about this. Let's remember who we're, who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the early leaders in the church. He wasn't the only leader. By Acts 15, we see that James, the brother of Jesus, has really taken the mantle of responsibility for the first century church. Now, one of the things we note about Peter is his constant struggle to understand the way and the will of God. He constantly uh, is, is bothered by it. And so God has to, has to mold him. Now, one of the great strengths and one of the things that we should admire about Peter is the fact that he was always malleable. He, he always submitted himself to, to, the, to the Father, and the Lord had to conform him to the image of his son, and, and it took work. But Peter was one who was willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll follow. You know, when you, when you become a disciple of Jesus, what you're doing is you're basically saying, okay, God, I'm willing to change. Even if I don't want to do it, I will do it because you tell me to do it. That's, that's the mindset of a disciple of Jesus. I want to introduce you to someone I admire and who is a great disciple of Jesus, in my opinion, and that's Dolores Anthony. I'm going to ask Dolores to come and share her testimony. She believes, and the elders believe, and the pregnancy board believes, and the personnel team believes that God has called her to lead our pregnancy center for the next 18 to 24 months to get this off to the ground. Maybe longer, but at least she knows that much, and we believe we know that much. And so we've asked her to share a little bit of her story and vision, and we need your affirmation here in a couple weeks. And so at the end of the service, Dolores will be here. Some of our board will be here. You're welcome to come, encourage her, talk with her, ask questions. But Dolores, share a little bit of your story. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit of my testimony. I was raised the eldest of seven children in a loving, church-going family with high moral standards. But sadly, as you've probably heard James Dobson say, I was sitting down on the outside and standing up on the inside. And so at 18, I left home and lived worldly among the other rebellious children of the 60s for several years. I met Wayne in 1973, and we were married in 75. And after our firstborn child arrived in 79, uh, we thought that now we have a family, we should start going to church. And some dear friends had been talking with us about the Bible, and so we chose the closest church, a Bible church. And there we met Jesus and became his followers. And we sat for more than 20 years under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, and it became familiar to us. After we moved to Bowling Green in 2012, we began attending Living Hope. And during our first year here, uh, we became assured that the Word of God is the basis and authority for all preaching and programs and policy. And we also learned that there were many opportunities for service and fellowship. And so we became members and began participating in ABF and small groups and other ministries. Initially, I resisted the call to the Hope Center for Pregnancy. And as I told Pastor earlier, was, I was like Peter. I was arguing with God for several weeks. I gave him all my but gods. And then he started to give me his but gods. And he turned my heart then and to surrender my plans and receive the plan that he has for my life. If you will have me as the director of the Hope Center for Pregnancy, I will cling to his promise that his grace is sufficient and that his strength is made 
perfect, not just powerful, but perfect in weakness. I will use my abilities to share the love of God by ministering to the spiritual, emotional, and material needs of those connected with unplanned pregnancy. And I will seek God's wisdom and remain sensitive to his leading regarding my term of service. God has brought a couple of scriptures to my attention over the past few weeks. Psalm 127, one says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And this one, Deuteronomy 3.24. O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? I believe the Hope Center for Pregnancy is God's work. And he will get the glory as a team of staff and volunteers endeavors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need it. Thank you. Amen. 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 Dolores wasn't looking for this. She didn't want this, but God called her to it. Peter, in our text today, was given an opportunity he didn't want. He was about to, to do one of the firsts in the New Testament. He was, he was about to reach out for the first time and to share the gospel with Gentiles. And it's very unusual that God would raise Peter up to do this because Peter was prejudiced. His, his parents taught him to distrust and to despise non-Jews. Peter held that belief. He was very prejudiced. And he had no interest in changing. God had to get a hold of him and guide him into truth. And he had to be willing to, to trust and obey. It's very difficult. Because the, this, the, the station that almost all people are plugged into, especially in our country, is W-I-I-F-M. Do you know this station? So many people uh, listen to it every single day. It's, it's W-I-I-F-M. It's what's in it for me. See, our, our world and our culture keeps saying, it's about you. Have it your way. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? That's what, we, that's what we're constantly inundated with. That is, that is the broadcast of our culture. God calls us to obey him, to trust him, to hear him. And when we do, we find meaning in our life. Peter was willing to accept God's call. And in, in doing that, he began to fulfill what all disciples of Jesus are called to do. Write this down and remember it. Disciples of Jesus live to spread God's glory by serving others with God's gift. That's the principle. Now let's look at the text. Go with me. Hold your finger in, in Acts 10 and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we see the, the scripture speaking to the principle that, that's just been shared. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. God calls us to spread his glory. Understand this, every person in this room, every person you come in contact is worshiping something or someone. And whatever it is we worship or they worship, that defines them and their hope. 
It is only as strong and it is only cap- as capable as the strength and the capacity of that which we have placed our hope. And there is no God like our God. And he alone is worthy of glory and praise. And when he becomes our God, he becomes our purpose. And it is his glory. And God has gifted us to bring him glory. Everybody in this room who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, not only do you have natural gifts, but you've been given spiritual gifts. When you were born again, the spirit of God entered your life and you were endowed with spiritual gifts on top of the natural gifts. And now you're responsible for them. You will have to give an account to God for the gifts he gave you to steward. Jesus said this in in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will be demanded the more. I want you to think about how much access you have to the Bible. Not how much you know, how much access you have. Most of you would actually have the downtime today. You don't have to be at work. You don't have to be just about it. You can have time to study God's word. You have access to teachers and teaching here. You have 14 ministers and pastors on this staff that are teaching. You have ministries for you to grow in and be equipped in the work of the ministry. You're responsible for that, whether you took advantage of those or not. And then how you did or did not use your natural and spiritual gifts to bring glory to God. Friends, listen to me. God is not gonna ask you at the end of your life if you had fun. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, let me encourage you not to ask your children when they are done with a church event or activity if they had fun. Ask them if they met Jesus. Ask them if it was meaningful and if they learned something about God and his word. See, God's not gonna ask you, hey, was it fun? Did they celebrate you? Did you feel empowered? Did, you, did, did everyone think you were a big deal? Did they, did they ask you about what you were wearing? Did they ask you uh, about this or that, this hobby? This? Here's what God's gonna ask you. Did you bring glory to me with the gifts I gave you by serving the people I sent you to? Bottom line, it's yes or no. We are responsible to God for the gifts he's given us to bring him glory and to serve others. And and when we serve others, what we find is meaning in our own life. Now, there are specific characteristics that we need to be serving with that we see in our text. Let's go back to Acts 10 and let's understand these characteristics, these qualities, these gifts that are to to be what really define those who serve that make a difference. Understand, disciples of Jesus who make a difference, they serve with, first of all, conviction. Conviction about God's plan. What you do is driven by your convictions. Everyone has opinions. All right, remember this. We share our opinions. We live by our convictions. We talk about a lot of stuff. We do what we have a conviction about. You know, I remember I've always, since becoming a disciple of Jesus, believed Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Acts 1, 8, the Great Commission. I got a conviction when I went to Africa, when I went to India, when I went to Asia, when I went to Europe to care for refugees and to share the gospel. I now have a deep-seated conviction. We must get the gospel to the darkness of our world because they are dying and they're going to hell. That is a deep conviction that drives me every day. Three years ago, I was on an airplane having a pity party and complaining to God my father. 
We had gone to the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and snow kept us from being able to march. And I was complaining about the fact that we had taken this long plane ride, and now we're going all the way home, and we didn't even get to march. And I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, oh, you just want to talk? You just want to march for life. You going to do something about it? Well, that struck me. I came back, and I, I shared with the elders, Brothers, I think I have a conviction about something. I think we're supposed to do something. So we asked Pastor Bill to find an organization within our community that was already doing this well, and we would just help them. Pastor Bill came back and said, there's nobody doing it the way we're supposed to do it. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're not supposed to just provide pregnancy tests and give materials. We're supposed to invite them into our family, and we're supposed to disciple them. So that building you see out there, that's an outpost. It's going to be a place where hurting people who are terrified are going to come and they're going to be shown the love of Jesus and then they're going to come here and it's our job to love them to Jesus. That's a conviction. Cornelius and Peter got a conviction. Look in, look in Acts chapter 10. Think about Cornelius, first of all. Here is this monotheist. Make sure you understand he's not a proselyte. He had not converted to Judaism. He was just a monotheist. What that meant was he no longer worshipped the emperor. He was not involved in the mystery religions. And he, he really did not buy into the Greco-Roman gods of his day. He knew there was a god. And he honored that God by paying alms and by praying. He did not know the god of the Bible. He, he just knew there was a god. But now he has this vision and no longer does he have simply an opinion or a belief about this. Now he has a conviction. And now he's sending two of his servants, look at that, two of his servants and a, and a, and a Roman guard to go fetch Peter. Now how many jokes do you think they told about him in the Roman garrison? How many letters home said, Cornelius has lost his ever-loving mind. He is inviting some Jew who hates us to come and talk to us. Can you believe this? Why would he do that? One reason, conviction. Meanwhile, Peter is, is back in Joppa with his prejudice. He's hungry. He's going up and to pray. He's asked for some lunch. He goes up and a sheet comes down and God says, look, look at it. It says, take and eat. And Peter's response was, gross. God, I have never eaten this stuff. I'm not eating this stuff. My mama told me not to eat this stuff. No. And, you know, I think Peter's magic number is three. He denied Jesus three times. He was asked three times, do you love me? And it took three times to get it straight in his head that God was not going to put up with his prejudice anymore. So he finally comes to terms with it. And he basically says, okay, now look, just because you become a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted with the same sins you were tempted with before you became a follower of Christ. That's why you need Christian community. You need people who can see your blind spots. You know, there was a time when Peter actually allowed his prejudice to come back into his life. And his brother Paul called him on it. Galatians chapter 2. You know this one? But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came and drew back, uh, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Friends, it's a battle. It's easy to fall back into our prejudice. It's easy to fall back into our lack of love into that place of sin. We need one another to stay on that narrow path. 
Here Peter is being called. He's got a conviction. And I want you to see what's happening here. Look at the broad picture here. God is at work in Cornelius. God is at work in Peter. What's he doing? He's preparing them. Listen to me. God is preparing you for something right now. I don't know what it is. Maybe you know. Maybe it's just a hint. Maybe you don't have a clue. But I want you to make sure if you're a disciple of Jesus, God right now is preparing you for something. And you've got to be ready to act on conviction. And, and you've got to be willing. Write it down. Second thing, to submit to the Holy Spirit. Understand, disciples of Jesus who make a difference serve with submission to the Spirit. So with this, this vision in mind, the Holy Spirit says, all right, Peter, go down there. There's three men looking for you. Accept them. He goes downstairs, and what does he see? Three Gentiles. His mama told him not to ever associate with those people. God's Spirit said, Go with them. He didn't do what his mom taught him to do. He didn't do what his flesh taught him to do. He didn't do what his prejudice called him to do. Instead, he followed the Spirit and he welcomed them in. And the next day, with six other witnesses, these 10 men, assumedly, what a motley crew, what a hilarious group. Here's Peter walking. Three Gentiles, a Roman soldiers, and six Jews with authority walking back to Caesarea. What a hilarious sight. Only God. And it happened because he submitted to the Spirit. He had a conviction. There was a submission. And then write it down. There was courage. Courage beyond their comfort. That's what disciples who have that make a difference. Peter, this took courage. I mean, everything about this was awkward. I mean, look at verses 25 and 26. He shows up and Cornelius starts worshiping him. There's nothing you could do worse for a Jew because that's blasphemy. In, in Peter's neighborhood, you get killed for that. So he gets him up. What are you doing, man? I'm a man. Stop. We're going to get killed. And so there, there's that awkwardness, right? And, and then you've got Peter <laughs> walking in to this house. Look at the next verses. Not just one, that's not a, just not one, a whole house of Gentiles. You know, he had to have been thinking, my mom's going to kill me. Christmas is not going to be cool this year. <laughs> He's walking in. This is, everything about this is scaring him to death. And then look what he says in verse 28. I mean, first thing out of his mouth, look at verse 28. First thing out of his mouth, y'all know what we're doing is wrong. This should not be happening. I am in so much trouble. And then he says, what do y'all want? Verse 29, what do you want? Why are we here? My mom's gonna be so ticked. This better be important. So then you've got Cornelius, who, verses 30 through 32, tell us the story over again. <laughs> and then he says, verse 33, okay, everybody's here. Tell us. Now, if you'll remember, the Spirit just said, go with him. He didn't. Say what to say. How many of you all hate awkward silence? There had to have been this moment where Peter is in front of all these people. Cornelius gives this great, this great introduction message. Okay, Peter, go. And it's... And he had to be courageous. He had to get out of his comfort and he had to be courageous. And in his courage, because he was able to, 
He clarified the gospel. Write it down. Disciples of Jesus who make a difference serve with clarity in the gospel. Now I want you to notice what he didn't say. The first words out of his mouth were not, I am a never Caesar. He didn't come in and say, I'm offended to be in a city named after a person that has oppressed my people for years and killed some of my friends. I'm, a, I'm offended that you're defending a, the name of a city of the person that I despise probably the most on this planet, Caesarea, Caesar. That's not what he said. He didn't say he was a never Caesar. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't start passing out red hats that said, make Israel great again. He had gospel clarity. Do you? Do you know what you believe and why? Let me ask you a really hard question. What message from your mouth defines you to your family and friends? Say, what do you mean? What you talk about defines you. You say, well, I just, I just kind of said that on Facebook. I just said that at the office. I was just talking. Yeah, what you say defines you. So what are you defined by? Politics? Your kids? Your sports? Your hobbies? Your looks? Your job? Your wealth? What? Whatever it is you talk about all the time, that tells you. What makes you mad? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? D.L. Moody said, I have one great concern, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread, spread throughout this nation and bring revival. If that is not the number one concern on your heart, then what is? Whatever it is, that's your hope. That's what you're known for. Peter, he was not a never Caesar. He wasn't wearing, make Jerusalem, make Israel great again. He shared the gospel. Now look how he shared it. It's fascinating. When you look in verses 36 through 39, all the commentators will make note that he spent a great deal of time talking about the life of Jesus. This was not his usual sermon. Usually he talked more about the resurrection and the coming and the response. He spent a lot of time from the baptism of John all the way to his death. Why? Because these guys didn't know. They heard about Jesus, but what they heard was not detailed information. Peter is outlining who the Lord God is. Then he talks about his death and his resurrection and why he'd come. He had gospel clarity. And he brought the gospel message. It was not an institution that he told about. It was not an ideology. It was not behavioral modification. It was the gospel because the gospel alone saves. We talk about this every week. We talk about these three circles. Let me ask you to be honest with yourself. What do you put here? The world is broken. What is going to enable a person to recover and pursue God's design? Do you think it's money? What would you put here, honestly? Peter put the gospel. Peter said, the thing you need to give up and believe in is the fact that God has come, he's died, he's been raised, and he will live in you. That's the news, that's the good news, that's all you need to pursue and recover God's design. Is that your message? 
Is that your story? Is that your song? Praising your Savior all the day long? Is it really? Ask your family. Ask your friends at work. Go look at your Facebook posts. Go look at all the stuff you watch and, and look at on social media and TV. What makes you mad, sad, glad, and get fired up? Is it the gospel? There's no way you'll have gospel clarity if it's not. Now, now understand, because of Peter's willingness to serve this way, he got to experience something phenomenal. Write it down. Disciples of Jesus who serve others find meaning for their life in what only God can do. So in verse 44 through 48, salvation came. Now notice how it came, verse 44. There were two things that made salvation possible. First of all, the preaching of the gospel. The second, the movement of the Spirit. Let me make sure you understand something. You can't save anybody, but you are called by God to make a disciple. Only God saves. How does he save? Through believers telling the gospel truth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing life and conviction. Without truth, there's nothing to believe in. Without spirit, there's no fire in life. It takes both. So we have to pray. We have to pray for the movement of God. We have to join God in what he is doing in the world. And don't you forget it. God's preparing you for that right now. God's preparing that person for that right now. You need to get ready right now. And if you will, you can see miracles. Now, you got to be ready when this miracle happens to know what to do. When these folks became followers of Jesus, notice there's three things that happened. The first is in verse 45. First, they examined for affirmation that they are truly believers. If someone says to you, yeah, I'm a Christian, examine them. Ask them when they repented of their sin and believed in Jesus. Ask them how they are walking in the spirit today. Ask them how they are seeing God at work in their life. Most, many, some, I don't know, Christians, if you ask them, why are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. My parents went to church. I made a decision at Vacation Bible School. Okay, what was that decision? I don't know, a bunch of kids went down, I was just part of it. Have you repented of your sin? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you following him? Are you a disciple? You need to affirm that. You need to have a conversation about that. You need to be looking, second thing, for the work of the Holy Spirit. They said, hey, the Spirit is at work here. We see this. Can you see it? How do I know? Galatians 5, 22. It's not real, hum, it's not real difficult. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because such things there is no law. Do you see that in, in, in the lives? Parents, I know some of you are wondering, does my child need to be baptized? Ask this question. Do you see this? Ask them, do they have affirmation of the doctrine of Christ? Do they understand the gospel? Have they repented and believed? Is there fruit of the Spirit? It can take two seconds. It can take two months. It took me an entire year. The third thing, baptism. You see it here in, um, in verse 47 and 48. Baptism is the first step of obedience for any believer. The moment you are sure that you're saved and there is fruit and you're ready to believe and you know you believe, you need to be baptized immediately. Baptism is, is not a means of salvation. It's a way of celebrating. It is the first commandment of God we are to obey because there is a message in the method. You are asked if you believe. You are buried with Christ the picture of being washed and then raised to walk a new life. The way Pastor Jorge does it, I love it. He asks him, are you a believer? Yes, you're dead. Takes him under the water, brings him back up. Now you're alive. 
It's a picture. And if you're not in obedience to that, you can't be a member of the church and you should not receive the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the means by which you recommit your life to Christ. To be in Christ is to confess Him as Savior and Lord. And then you are saved. The first step of obedience is public profession of faith through baptism. Once you're living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you get to be a part of miracles. God's doing the work. We just get to be a part of it. But here's the thing. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're on your own and you don't get to be a part of it. And your life is only as meaningful as the things that you can build last. And that ain't long. Some of you need to invite Christ into your life to become a follower of Jesus right now. Let me tell you how you do it. Let me tell you the way I did it. My bedroom, the middle of the night, June 30th, 1988, I said, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. You're my leader. I was saved. Some of you have been saved. You've not been baptized. You need to be baptized. You need to commit yourself today that you will obey him in baptism. Some of you are not walking with the Lord and you're not known for your gospel clarity because you have gotten sidetracked in other things. You need to commit yourself today to gospel clarity. And then you need to pray. Some of you need to be praying for the person who's in your current seat. Some of you need to be praying for people that you know that are hurting. Some of you need to pray for a person you've not met yet. It's a person that God's preparing you for right now for a conversation that they need that God can use to save their eternal soul. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you call us to. We ask, oh God, that you would now give us faith to respond. Uh, some need to just sit down in their seat right now and, and ask you to come and be their Savior and Lord. Some need to sit down right now and just say, Lord, forgive me. Others won't need to come forward and do that. They need to get on their knees in front of you and say, Lord, please save me. Please forgive me. Some need to come and pray for a loved one, for themselves, for their pride, for their shame, for their battle that they're in, for the relationships that may be gone south. They need to pray for people they know that are hurting. Their marriages are falling apart. Their, their, their families are, are in a terrific struggle. Lord, you know the needs of every one of us and you care about us and you want us to come to you. So thank you, Lord, that we can. We can give you our life. We can give you our trust. Come and pray now as we worship.